Hi everyone, Luke here. I just wanted to take this opportunity while Pete's not around to talk to you about UFOs. You know that I'm interested in UFO sightings, but Peter will not let me talk about them on the podcast. So instead, I'm here to recommend a different show which does discuss extraterrestrial activity and a whole heap of other unexplained paranormal mysteries. I absolutely love it. It's called This Paranormal Life, and it's an award-winning comedy podcast where comedians Rory Powers and Kit Greer inspect different paranormal cases to try and find the truth inside the mystery. Previous episodes investigate things like the Battersea Poltergeist and the Roswell UFO incident. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Sorry. Uh, I'll, leave, I'll leave the studio for like two minutes and you're talking about UFOs again, Luke. I'm actually just recommending to the Luke and Pete Show community to check out This Paranormal Life in case they want some more info about the mysteries, Pete, that you refuse to let me talk about. Mm. Uh, well, look, I, admittedly, I love Rory and I love Kit. They're good fellas. And I think we should leave it to them, the experts. I was actually just listening to St. Patrick's Day episode. And I tell you what, it was a bloody good listen. Apparently St. Patrick, right, he used to battle druids in Wizard Jewels, which is a little bit of rock and roll, isn't it? Uh, do you reckon I would beat uh, St. Patrick to some kind of Wizard Jewel, Luke? Oh, I reckon you could in those trousers, mate. Yeah. Search This Paranormal Life in your podcast app to subscribe and listen now. Please do it so Luke stops talking to me about UFOs. What's that up there? It's a light, you dickhead. We are rolling. This is the Luke and the Pete show. I'm the Luke bit of this uh, particular situation, and I'm talking to the Pete bit of the particular situation. I'm not really. I'm Pete. Hello, Luke. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. And I just think I can't help but um, feel that when you mix us our names up like that, you are mm. benefiting from that. Uh, well, Vish, when we were on the Football Ramble yesterday, Vish uh, called me Luke. He called you me, didn't he? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. I've already um, firmly implanted myself into his subconscious. Good stuff. Exactly. A good start. Yeah. He, sees, he sees you as an authority figure. He's looking around the room. He sees Marcus. He looks at me. Where are the people who know their stuff, he's thinking? I'm going to pretend Pete's Luke for a bit. Where's that bully that I found vaguely annoying, is what he's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's been such a busy week since we've uh, since we recorded on on Monday. There are so many things happening uh, that I have uh, poorly researched. Basically, just went to a website. There has been a palm sized lump of rock falling from the sky into uh, Rajasthan, northern huh. India, huh. Uh, and it's made of germanium, platinum, nickel, and iron. Uh, nobody knows where it's came, come from. I mean, it's obviously just you know uh, uh, some kind of. Some kind of meteorite, but it, it looks all smooth and it looks like it's got an eyeball. It's really, really interesting. So, uh, yeah. Where's um, it come from? Mo- it's, come, it's come from um, the space, is it? The sky. Yeah, I think it's just, it just fell from the sky. But uh, you'd be annoyed if you... I'd be annoyed if I was even anywhere close to that falling because that is... I'm going to use my favourite term, indicative of a wider problem. I'm going to get <clears throat> I'm going to get hit by lightning or something. Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I don't know exactly... What the show? I mean, apparently, I've got it in front of you now, right? National Geographic have done an article mm. saying the chances of you being hit by a meteorite are. Let's have a but look. still they come. <laughs> but um, still they come. Pro- the problem, yeah. The, <laughs> the problem with um, with National National Geographic is that it's just listen, mate. I don't need eighteen paragraphs. Just tell me the numbers. Um, Stop showing us pictures. Apparently. The, the lifetime odds, lifetime odds of dying from a local mm. meteorite, asteroid, or comet impact are one in one point six million, which, by the way, doesn't seem that big. 
No. What's, that? What's the lottery? The lottery must be uh, lower than that, surely. Do you want some perspective? I would like some perspective. You've got a 1 in 90 chance of being killed in a car accident. Right. 1 in 250 for a fire. 1 in 60,000 for a tornado. Of course, I imagine all these depend on exactly where you live. Because uh, yeah. you ain't you ain't dying from a tornado in the UK. One in one hundred thirty-five thousand for lightning. One in eight mm. million for a shark attack. Again, I live in West Norwood. That's not happening. Or one in one hundred ninety-five million for winning the Powerball lottery. I think this is an American article, so that'll be for broadly speaking for the US. So, yeah. I mean, you're basically a little bit more likely to be death death by lightning, and much much less likely to be bitten by a shark and killed. Mm. If you're kind of driving towards a tornado in a car, who wins there? Did the tornado kill you? Did the car kill you? Was it a combination of both? Yeah. What are the odds there? It's a good question. I mean, and then, of course, um, poor old Bill Paxton, who immediately comes to mind when you mm. mention um, Twister, which is essentially what your inspiration for that making that point was, right? Uh, well, I, no, I was just literally thinking about driving a car into a uh, tornado. I can't drive, but I don't think it's really important in, in, in that particular situation. Poor old Bill Paxton um, passed away from a stroke, sadly. So um, he he spent all that time chasing tornadoes. Tornado uh, related, did yeah, it wasn't it wasn't really a tornado (laughs) thing. It got him in the end. Great movie that, by the way. I remember being a young kid going to watch that at the uh, cinema and having my mind blown to bits. Now people talk a lot about Jurassic Park as a kid and Mm. that how good that was, and and we've talked about that recently on here, saying that you know the special effects still look amazing and it's a masterfully done movie for lots of different reasons and everyone knows that. But I tell you what, Twister doesn't get any love. And Twister blew my mind to bits when I was a kid. Well I I think Twister kind of was a victim of its own success because um nobody needs to make any more films about Twisters. Because it was good. It happened. So like if you're a, a Hollywood executive Let's make another film about Twisters. It's like, well, well, we've got one, and it was good. And Bill Paxton but, was in it. So, at what point worry though, Pete, about do it. they say? Do they say, yeah, but that was 1996. I mean, th- one thing I would say to those particular, um, those particular film producers and the money men mm. who can have the power to green light such <laughs> the a movie suits is say the budget for it was 90 million dollars. It made 500 million dollars. Mm. Directed by so, Jan de Bont as well. Right. What did he do after that? I'm, I'm not. I'm not a big film guy. That it was his second film after Speed. Speed is, was his one of his movies. Oh, oh, that's good. That's a good hit, right, isn't it? Yeah, and he also did Speed Two, Cruise Control, and then it went south. Uh, before you know it, you're making Lara Croft, Tomb Raider. Uh, so that wasn't so, bad. But it's a, it's a good movie, Twister. I rate it. I think um, I think we could be. But the problem, my problem, Pete, with, with this would be: Would you now be in a situation where the special effects? would be so heavily relied upon that we wouldn't have that mag- magic because we've all seen Sharknado. Uh, we have, yeah. I, I think that had a very low budget, though, to be fair. I think yeah. the, the, the shark and the nado, um, it was very cheap, very affordable. I think you're very much kind of, um, what, what am I saying? You're very much kind of limiting the pool of willing investors when you present <laughs> a film called Sharknado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking to uh, people who uh, are very interested in money laundering and tax write-offs. I think that's the uh, <laughs> that's very much the the producers you're talking to on that one. These are the two main sources of funding we're going for for this movie. Okay, exactly. It's a, but they, I think they made about five of them though. So oh, well, there you go. But the thing is, Pete. Right, actually, exactly. I, I think I'm also going to just jump in there and say I don't know if that's the full picture there because isn't there a a little kind of boutique industry? around um, a certain production company 
that's MO is, is essentially just to make 150 films a year for a really cheap mm-hmm. budget and hope like a few of them cross over and be cult hits. And, right. um, and that's how they kind of, that's the kind of business model. So there are a load of people who are making films like that cheap. I forget the name of the production company now, but it might have been one of those, maybe. I think, uh, is it Uwe Ball? He does a lot of video, he, or he certainly used to do a lot of video game movies, and he would buy, or his company or whoever was um, funding them, would buy these very, very, very popular video games, uh, the licenses very cheaply, uh, yeah. and make really cheap, crappy films uh, out of them. But he, he that was very much his uh, his style of filmmaking. He, he, would, he would use cheap licenses. Uh, and I, I don't think they were that unsuccessful, because if you really like a video game, lots... And there's no more video game out there. Um, you yeah. know, you're probably going to go and watch the film, however bad it is, really. Yeah, true. This this um, Sharknado was a um, sci-fi. Remember the sci, you know, the sci-fi channel. Right. Um, okay. It's like a straight to TV made the sci-fi channel one. But there, there is there is a um, a film company. Do you know what? I think it might be the one who made Paranormal Activity. Who? Oh, that was a hit, though, wasn't it? Exactly. Exactly right. So mm. they they that's what they do. They go for like really cheap type movies. Um, and then oh, Bloomhouse, that's what it's called. Yeah, it is then Bloomhouse. So they make, so they they know they make mainly low budget horror films, and then hope a load of them cross over. So they made Paranormal Activity, they made Insidious. They actually, I think they started to branch out a little bit more. I think they might have even made um, Get Out as well. Really? Is that? What yeah. It's, yeah. Wow. Well. well anyway, that's, that's a, their model. Had a hit on but, their hands there. Speaking of um, horror films, though, I watched um, Hereditary. Uh, earlier this week. Which one is Hereditary? Am I going to have to write that down now? So it's by Ari Aster, the same guy who made Midsommar. Now, I watched Midsommar and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, hmm. But I never got around to seeing Hereditary. It was, it was, it was kind of um, oh, billed as being this amazing horror movie. It's got Tony Collette in it. Yeah, it's got... Um, she's just getting better and better, Tony Collette. She was always excellent, but she's just so good. Oh, my God. She's so good in it. Do you know what? Um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I thought it was quite frightening, particularly the last kind of act. Um, I don't think it was as good as Midsummer personally, but that's possibly because I saw Mid- Midsummer first. But one thing I would say, Pete, is that um, Tony Collette is amazing in Hereditary. Like she's so so good. She's an excellent actor anyway, but she's brilliant in that. And I, I kind of wonder why it is that, and it happens sort of with comedy films as well. Why horror movie acting performances are sort of overlooked when it when it comes to award season? That they're not really seen as being worthy, are they? Mm. It, well, it's like, um, well, I mean, Get Out was a really good example. Uh, obviously, it won, won a lot of awards, but it was horror is like a dirty kind of, it's seen as cheap and like, you know, doing things cheaply and, and, and the devices are very hack. Same with zombie films and stuff like that. There's very mm. few zombie films that sort of break through, um, but they'll have their time in the sun again. Horror is definitely back in a big way. You don't really see many horror films nominated for Oscars and stuff, do you? Not that, that matters, I guess. No, but I think it will. I think it will. I think it will get better. I think you could, but, but I think it's classification. I think film films don't want to be classified as horror because of that. That, that they have that kind of um, they, have, they have the stench of horror around them, and, and nobody wants to give them awards. I mean, you would probably classify Parasite as being, you know, a pretty a pretty stand up uh, horror film in many ways. But it, it, it's obviously not. Um, it obviously wasn't pitched as that. It was this kind of. Um, I thought that was thriller. Excellent. Yeah, because it was it was wonderful, and um, yeah. yeah, the the the, the um, looking at um, uh, Chris Tilly, who does our uh, Stakhanov production Clash of the Titles with uh, Alex Zane and uh, Vic, Vicky Crompton, there he goes to Fright Fest every year, and uh, every year in Leicester Square uh, for a week, uh, there's just a lot of like viewing houses just just, just given over completely to uh, horror films, 
and uh, I've been to a couple of uh, screenings, and they did like. There's some really good stuff out there with really good, really good directors, really, really yeah. uh, competent acting, and, and the, I think the accessibility of semi-pro uh, filming equipment and lighting and things like that um, has really revolutionised um, indie filmmaking. The problem is there's just too much to bloody watch in there. But you know, obviously Netflix and and Amazon are obviously helping with that. Yeah, there's way too many films these days for sure. But but Pete, I was going to say the reason I bring it up is because Tony Collette in that movie. I mean, I don't want to give it away in case anyone's not seen it but it's she's essentially a, a a mother of a family kind of managing her way as best she can through like a series of, of different sort of family tragedies and there's mental health aspects to it and, and lots of different mm. things going on and, and i was just thinking as I, as I was watching it i don't really know what more she can do in terms of an actor before she's going through the mill here it's a very physical performance it's like a very emotionally mm. wrought performance do you think I mean, I don't know if she got as as um as as recognised for it as she should have done, but I, I suspect she probably didn't. I'm not a film expert, so I don't know. But it's not something that she's been well sort of. I don't think been well awarded for, which I thought was a bit odd, really. Um, but she's she's having a bit of a renaissance, I'd say, wouldn't you? Like the uh, um, uh, let's look at what else yeah, she's I, been I, in. I, she's kind of she's she she was in uh, Knives Out. She's good in that. Oh yeah, that's a good film as well. I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's also okay. in um, Good Little Miss Sunshine, isn't she? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she, 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 she's definitely back. She's definitely maybe she just took a few years out. I mean, that's up to her. I watched an amazing, and I, and I tell you what, I, I sort of said at the time, um, you don't appreciate good acting until you see quite poor acting. Um, I was watching yeah. a, um, a like a documentary about uh, the death of uh, is it John John Bernier Ramsey? Do you remember that? Um, yes, I do remember that. Be- yeah, be- beauty queen. She's like a young one of those. Um, uh, child beauty queens. It's all very, it's very creepy to, to to British audiences, but the American, uh, you know, it's, it's it's a big thing in America. Uh, these these, these mums, these ultra competitive mums with big hair, they they throw their kids into these uh, kind of beauty competitions. And it's a um, bit, it's a bit of a bone of contention in our household, Pete. Actually, because um, oh, really? my wife's a fan of watching this toddlers and tiara show, which is basically all about that. And I just I find it exploitative and weird, basically. Well, uh, you used to be able to watch that on Dmax uh, back in the day until uh, they. Uh, they so uh, moved it to another channel, so there you go. All right. <laughs> I think it was D-Max. It was that or, or challenge. I remember being it's on, uh, uh, TLC in, into now. all of the characters. TLC, right, okay, yeah. Well, um, this company, the, 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 there was this production that I, the, that I watched. Um, it was fascinating. What they did was they took a load of um, actors, amateur actors, semi-pro actors in Boulder, who obviously um, were in the city when the actual murder took place of, of, of right. the child. Um, and um, so all of these kind of amateur actors and, and, and basically cast seven versions of the mum, seven versions of the dad, seven versions of the police chief, seven versions of the person who was accused of murdering her, uh, mm. seven versions of the child, and basically kind of told the story um, from, the point of, like, from the point of view of actors going into a casting room and reading for the part of the actual um, character. Right. It was a fascinating way to tell a story. It was a little bit kind of reductive because you you, you wanted to see the times when you know the the, the parents were on Larry King uh, releasing their book and stuff like that. But the, it was just fascinating to see these kind of like amateur actors um, uh, who who obviously knew a lot about the story because they were in Boulder at the time. They they they'd had lives around the, the case. Obviously, in, in Boulder, I've been to Boulder. It's not a big place. It's a kind of university town, I think, it was mm. for, uh, for, uh, for the first. But um, it was fascinating to sort of see all these people kind of like um, 
chewing their way through the scenery. Some decent actors, but mostly poor actors, um, kind of trying to sort of read for these characters, but also giving their own opinions about what happened at the time when the actual um, Where can I watch this, Peter? Place. You can see it on Netflix. I can't remember what it's called, but uh, Hunt It Out, it was fascinating. It's a really, really interesting way to All do right. uh, a documentary about uh, something that, that obviously, I mean, I think she died in the 90s. I, I imagine there's been a million billion uh, different uh, uh, documentaries. We'll try and remember and dig it out because I'll, I'll give that a watch for sure. That sounds yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's good. Um, it I, good. I, wanted to, I wanted to change tack slightly and talk about a story that caught my eye uh, this week as well. It's called Is Casting it? John Bennett. Sorry. Casting John, John Bennett. There you go. John Bennett. Bennett. Sorry. Casting yeah. John Bennett. I've seen it on Netflix actually advertised, but I've not got around to watching mm. it. I wondered if it was that one. Great. Okay. I'll give it a bash. Um, give it a bash. Did you see that um, the, well, the acoustic electric guitar that um, Kurt Cobain played on his MTV Unplugged performance in 1993? Oh, yes. Uh, Nirvana Unplugged in New York uh, sold at auction for $6 million. I mean, that is an in, that must be the most expensive guitar. I, I'm, I'm sure the Beatles it's, ones have gone. It, yeah. It's the most expensive guitar ever sold at auction. There's a lot to like about this story because I think his cardigan sold fairly recently for, for a good amount of money as well. But there's a lot to like about this story. My favourite live album ever, I'll just stick that out there, but but mm. the, 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 the guy who bought it is the guy who founded Rode Microphones, Pete. Oh, nice. I shout mean, out Rode. Uh, shout out Rode. Shout Power out Rode. Power we, we, we here and there. <laughs> exactly. I was, I was sort of thinking uh, under uh, lockdown, Stakhanov must own a lot of road stock, not not mm. actual stocks and shares, just their stock, really, because we've bought a lot of uh, portable equipment. But well, for uh, those yeah. out there who are listening for this kind of chat, I mean, we split our, our discipline across Marantz, Neumann, and Road, but Road are mm. our tie mic of choice. Yeah. So shout out to yeah. Peter Friedman, uh, you know, founder of Road. He's the good thing about it is I don't know anything about Peter. I, I'm, I'm hoping he's not. Um, problematic because it's becoming yeah he's, more, not, he's, more not, he's not the uh it, it's really hard isn't it it's like uh mm. I, I really like dan electro guitars but the bloke who owns that company uh or certainly did a few years ago has uh some problematic views so right uh, you have a policy of only buying secondhand ones well peter peter friedman has said that he's going to use the guitar um he's going to tour it around australia i believe he's australian he's going to tour it around australia to help raise awareness for lack of arts funding during the covid epidemic and that's why he bought it he said Oh, nice! So, it's, 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 hopefully, it's a pricey... um, yeah, hopefully, it's uh, it comes to it goes to good use. But um, that's a brilliant record. It's just my favorite. Um, it's my favorite live record, and it's not even close. Uh, I think I it's probably even my favorite Nirvana record. But that's more controversial. And I understand people might have some opinions on that. I I, I think it's good because it's kind of. Um, I mean, obviously, one of the songs. One of the oh God, what did what did they uh, they sang? What was that Scottish band uh, that they covered that that he covered? Um, oh, the Vaseline. They're one of my faves as well. Yeah, yeah. The the Vaseline. The song he covered was about a character from Jack and Ori. And like, there's so many different little stories, and the stories of actually putting that show together was such a fraught one. Like, he he was actually quite an antagonistic, kind of difficult. I mean, obviously he fucking was, and he was a heroin addict, and and you know all that stuff. But he was he, there was there was rumors that it wasn't going to happen, you know, and it all kind of came together, and it became this iconic um, iconic set, and 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 and, and the most important. What well, you would probably say the most important. Uh, piece of broadcasting mtv's ever done wouldn't you say it certainly is for me i i i am um, i always point people i love nirvana obviously because i'm of that age and uh, to be honest i didn't really mm. get into them until after kurt cobain sadly died because i was only 13 yeah. when he died but they became a huge part of um of my musical education as a kid and and uh, sorry i was actually saying this to my wife the other day in the car so i had the spotify shuffle and a song a silver chair song came on 
And I said to Mimi, oh, I used to love Silverchair back in the day. And it, and it only really kind of occurred to me fairly recently that all the music I liked, well, not all the music, but a lot of the music I liked through the mid to late 90s was essentially a hangover from Nirvana. They were all really sort of um, poor Nirvana imitations like Bush and Silverchair and mm. one or two others. And so yeah, they had a really big impact on me. But I always point people in the direction of a book by a guy called Charles Cross called Heavier Than Heaven. I think he was a childhood friend of Cobain. And it's a really forensic, beautifully written um, biography of of Kurt Cobain. It's, it's so revealing and so interesting. I don't think it's been discredited in the same way that the kind of Brian Wilson one has. Um, but So it's well worth a read. It's called Heavier Than Heaven. If you want to know anything about Cobain, his life and his outlook and his experiences, it's, it's probably as good as you're going to get, I would say. Um, and if anyone else has got a recommendation over and above that, then by all means, kind of email in. But um, that for me is the definitive one. That record is it's just, I mean, everything they do is everything Nirvana did was just so good, in my opinion. Chiefly because even if it's not a, a particularly individual song that you necessarily like, it's all done with such feeling and such heart, and they mean it. And it, and that is, and that sounds cheesy in today's world, but at that point in the, in in time, it was really really important to have that. And to me, it spoke to me a great deal. So, um, yeah, they're, they're a hugely important part of my of my upbringing. I would say. Usually, and uh, and 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 the guitar itself—it was like it, it was an acoustic, with like a had a pickup on it. It wasn't a microphone, was it? It was an actual electric electric pickup and microphone. Yeah, basically, they should that that album should just be called. Um, as someone said before, it should be it shouldn't be called Nirvana Unplugged in New York. It should just be Nirvana Slightly Quieter in New York. Because <laughs> everything is plugged in by the sound of it. Dave Grohl looks so kind of um, uh, geeky. He's such a goober. He's in proper like seeing Dave Grohl without a beard. You sort of forget that what a goobery kind of chap he he had with his. But seeing him use brushes as well kind of really yeah. exposes. He's, like, he's actually he's actually a fucking good drummer. Oh, he's great, Dave Grohl. Great guy. <laughs> and, and also, um, I was going to say to you that um, for the one thing that the big poignant thing, apart from the obvious with Nirvana for me, is that after Cobain died, they they released that box set with the lights out. And mm. it had an unreleased song on it, and the most released, the most recent song that Nirvana recorded before Cobain died. And it's called "You Know You're Right," and it yeah. is so good. It's like legitimately one of their best songs. And you think, my goodness me, he probably had so much more in his tank, like so much mm. more to offer. And and so that just makes it especially sad. It's sad because a guy died, and because he had depression, and because he was a father, and all those obvious reasons. But the idea that he probably had an awful lot more to offer creatively as well. Makes it even more sad, I think. Um, so, mm. yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. But, you know, the most expensive guitar sold in the history before that was a Dave Gilmore Fender Stratocaster, apparently, which fetched $4 million for charity in June of last year. So it beat that one by by 50%. Well, well done, uh, uh, money, I suppose. <laughs> Hopefully it's used for, for, for a good cause and it goes it goes yeah. to spread awareness around you know struggling financially struggling artists and how important the art sector is in communities and stuff and that, I do think there's an element particularly alongside this this political movement that we're currently living through where everyone knows the price of everything but the value of nothing and, and arts funding is really important for lots of different reasons so if it can go towards that then then great mm. indeed well uh, we're going to take a uh, short break we'll be back with uh, some of your emails if that's all right with you Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. 
Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hi everyone, Luke here. I just wanted to take this opportunity while Pete's not around to talk to you about UFOs. You know that I'm interested in UFO sightings, but Peter will not let me talk about them on the podcast. So instead, I'm here to recommend a different show which does discuss extraterrestrial activity and a whole heap of other unexplained paranormal mysteries. I absolutely love it. It's called This Paranormal Life, and it's an award-winning comedy podcast where comedians Rory Powers and Kit Greer inspect different paranormal cases to try and find the truth inside the mystery. Previous episodes investigate things like the Battersea Poltergeist and the Roswell UFO incident. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Sorry. Uh, I'll, leave, I'll leave the studio for like two minutes and you're talking about UFOs again, Luke. I'm actually just recommending to the Luke and Pete Show community to check out This Paranormal Life in case they want some more info about the mysteries, Pete, that you refuse to let me talk about. Mm. Uh, well, look, I, admittedly, I love Rory and I love Kit. They're good fellas and I think we should leave it to them, the experts. I was actually just listening to their St. Patrick's Day episode and I tell you what, it was a bloody good listen. Apparently St. Patrick, right, he used to battle druids in Wizard Jewels, which is <laughs> a little bit of rock and roll, isn't it? Uh, do you reckon I'd beat uh, St. Patrick to some kind of Wizard Jewel, Luke? Oh, I reckon you could in those trousers, mate. Yep. Search This Paranormal Life in your podcast app to subscribe and listen now. Please do it so Luke stops talking to me about UFOs. What's that up there? To light, you dickhead. Join me, Pete Donaldson, and Japan-based YouTuber Chris Broad every Wednesday as we offer the lowdown on what's happening in one of the most unique and exciting countries in the world. The Abroad in Japan podcast is home to all things Japan, from things to do... So today we've come to you guys with 12 places in Japan that nobody knows about. ...to the bizarre... When I moved into my new apartment last year, the police guy came to my door, mm. knocked on my door, I opened it, it was a policeman, and he said to me, in English, I am Japanese policeman. <laughs> and I went, that's the best introduction you could possibly do as a Japanese policeman. <laughs> to the downright filthy. And for those of you who don't know what a Tenga is, Pete and I did discuss how to describe it best before doing the podcast and I'll let Pete describe what a tenga is. What is it, Pete? It's a solo male silicon-based ordinanist's aid, so to speak. Brilliant. New episodes every single Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Abroad in Japan is a Stakhanov production. And we're back with uh, emails. And uh, they've been flying in, Luke, even right. in between all of the stupid spam emails we get from people. Thank you very much. Still annoyed by that, are you? A little bit, yeah, because I've got to sift through it, as, as do you. Um, hello to uh, Daniel, Daniel Davis. Uh, hello. Uh, he says, uh, not about Japan per se, but I thought you might be interested in the fact that for a long period, glassmaking technology was a closely guarded secret in Venice. Mm. Right. Glass blows were in fact glass blows were in fact treated almost as aristocracy uh, because so much of the economy depended on their skills. On the flip side of this, they could not leave Venice because their recipes were so secret, and there are cases of uh, family members uh, being held hostage by the city if any glass blower did actually leave on a trip or try and make a run for it. The implication being, if you tell a secret, your family will pay 
the price. Um, mm. It's also it was also very common for the glassblowers who also uh, made mirrors to go insane from mercury poisoning. Uh, I don't know whether this is uh, correct, uh, directly connected to Japanese glass, but it does show something about the complexities of the process in, uh, involved. Uh, obviously, the, the secret did get out. The Venetian economy collapsed and the special glass of the region spread around Europe. Um, another tale, an interesting tale from the fascinating world of glass. Dan Davis in Lisbon. Thank you very much. Sent from a Huawei mobile, obviously presumably uh, containing some kind of gorilla glass on the front of it. Yeah, and that's another reason, that story there's another reason why Pete is firmly in the Brexit camp. (laughs) Why? What? You shouldn't allow our uh, valuable glass... Close off the different borders and keep the ideas to ourselves. Keep the glass in England. Nothing good has ever happened for the good conscious sharing of information. Um, Yeah, I'd agree with that. Mate, on, on the, you that. mentioned that um, you mentioned. I'm joking, of course. You mentioned that um, people can email in, as we say every show on at hello at lukeandpeachshow.com. But our Twitter is at lukeandpeachshow, and the reason I say that is because I saw something on Twitter uh, earlier this week which made me laugh, and I wondered if the people would have other stories around there, around it uh, of, of a similar of a similar bent. So I don't know about you, people. I've never been the member of a golf club. Have you? No, I've never swung a golf club in anger. Actually, I tell a lie. I have uh, in an urban golf uh, competition that I came last in. Um, yeah. I don't really understand it. I, fa- I had fantasies about um, turning up at a golf club and being uh, this prodigious talent that had um, hitherto been undiscovered. In undiscovered, but um, I think we all know that's not the case. So no, but- I've never. <laughs> Being a member of a golf club, and this is a great bit of uh, Luke and Pete folklore, which I don't think we've mentioned on this show before. Is I you talk about swinging a golf club in an urban golf competition and coming last? I was reading a book about golf once called "Bring Me the Head of Sergio Garcia" about a guy who had regrets about not being a pro golfer because he was really good, and at the age of about mm. thirty, he goes back into it again. and And the final act involves him taking part in this conversation, sorry, this competition of urban golf. He's been invited along and he, um, he ends it by saying, I didn't win it, whatever, but at least I finished so many, so-and-so shots above XFM's cheeky Pete. And I was like, how is he in this book? Why is Pete Carson <laughs> now invading the books I'm reading? Um, so yes. your, your, your legacy on the golfing front is secured by that alone, Pete. But anyway, so my, my, um, my granddad was a member of a golf club. Um, I spent a mm. bit of time uh, visiting and playing golf with him, but I was never a member. I never really got to know it intimately, and a lot of my friends are members, but I don't really get involved. So, but my 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 impression of golf clubs is exactly how um, these two people I saw on Twitter um, tweeted, and I and it's just it just made me laugh. I don't know them, I don't know either of them, but it was just it's something I saw on Twitter. Yeah. And first guy, Michael says the year is twenty twenty. And I've just been reminded at a golf club that I should be wearing white ankle socks and not black ankle socks. Incidentally, knee-length socks can be any colour but white. The pro kindly let me off this time, but golf clubs don't help themselves. And Jack, this guy called Jack Reeve replies saying, I was made to go to the pro shop at Thetford Golf Course in a junior open when I was 14 to purchase new socks as mine were a few millimetres below the ankle. <laughs> I just love it. I just love that there are people at golf clubs who think this stuff is important. There must be loads of our listeners out there who've had a similar experience. I hope there are. Yeah. I mean, you talk about the big stuff like women and and black people not being allowed in golf clubs up up until, you know, quite recently, to be quite frank. Um, And and obviously the people, the the, the, the dodgy people who own the golf clubs, like the president of America, etc. Like, 
but ankle socks. Why is anybody policing the ankle socks? It's proper partridge, isn't it? The uh, that's the thing. So what's the, happened? Uh, is... Little man in the jeans. Little man in the jeans. Yeah, the, yeah. There's a chap of about five. The uh, the 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 laws have been uh, kind of decided a long time ago, and it yeah. does actually really speak to the mentality of certain human beings because they've just been told that's the rule book. You've got mm. to enforce it, and they'll just blindly do it. And at no, at no point yeah. do they stop to think. Hang on, it's just at the end of the day, it's just a pair of socks, isn't it? Like, don't, I yeah. mean, it doesn't really matter. Like, no, no one's really going to care. Like, I understand the rule, like, don't wear your golf shoes in the bar because you're going to scuff up the carpet or you're going to get mud on stuff. And that was the same at the football clubs I was players or player of. Like, you had to take your boots off before you got into the showers and get and and got into the club and all that kind of stuff. I get all that, but like certain types of socks, to me, it's such a. They know when people say that the Brits are the kind of the. Um, the kind of administrators of the world. It just really speaks to that, doesn't it? Yeah, and and, and also I, I, it sort of takes me back to a question we get asked quite a lot on Stakhanov Shore uh, abroad in Japan, plus in a lot of other Stakhanov Shores at the moment. But uh, we get asked every single week about um, tattoos in onsens, you know, those hot spring kind of um, yeah. baths you go in, you jump in the hot bath and you jump in the cold bath. And well, that kid waved his willy in your face. That Chinese child uh, waved his uh, willy in my face. That's correct, yes. Uh, don't want to talk about that. Um, we, I've already talked about that. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, um, the rules are no tattoos, but there is a cultural reason for that because the only people who had tattoos were um, criminals. It's changing. Things are getting a little bit more um, loose. If you're clearly not a member of the Yakuza, like I'm fairly certain that I'm not, um, the, the the people who sort you of judge these that, very, you? very harsh... I, I, that's exactly what I would say. Yeah. And nobody look at my little finger. I'm, I'm, is God, that true, by the way, the little finger thing? Yeah, yeah. If you do something okay. wrong, it's uh, it's not a myth, you get no. you get a little finger. And and there's there's guys who create, or you you certainly used to create um, fake little fingers for you, um, and you'd put a different one on every season to match the <laughs> um, tanning, like because you because your hands get tanned in, in the summer, doesn't it? Don't they? So, um, but I just I just like the idea of you one. becoming like a, a yakuza or being like mentioned about doing it or applying or whatever you have to do, and they take you through what happens, and you go, yeah, that's fine, yeah. And uh, by the way, we um. We work these hours, and you're going to be asked to do this, and and then uh, if you do something wrong, and we just chop your finger off, and and that, and it what? Hang on, <laughs> well, let's go back to that bit again because that sounds a bit much, to be honest. I, th- I think knowing what I'm like, I'd probably just chisel it off before I even applied. I go, look, I'll fuck it up, so, but I've already done it. So just just take that as red. I don't have a th- <laughs> I don't. Have, I'd, I've taken off a thumb and half a forefinger. Is that all right? That that's about my level. Okay, I've got mess a finger missing. Up. No, it's in my pocket. <laughs> anyway carry on what you were saying so yeah culturally like it's changing because people are more and more because when i was a kid it, mm. growing up in portsmouth it was only really sailors and criminals that had tattoos really and now everyone's mm. got them. and bus drivers yeah yeah a lot of bus drivers yeah. are um kind of ex i mean my granddad's got a tattoo on his arm but they got that when he's in the army and then he became a bus driver so it does kind of fit mm. yeah my dad uh, my dad's got a couple of i think he's got one of my mum and one of Pisces, um, and and they're, 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 they're I think they're holding up all right. To be honest, they're in the exact same place that I've got my tattoos on the old carbs. So, um, but that's all he's really got. He does, as I've said before, he does wear a bone that was removed from his foot around his neck. So he's. Well, hang on a he's, minute. He's, You've never told he's, us he's, that. I've, I've told you about this. He, no, you he, haven't. He There's no one out there that knows this. His... Tell a story. He had a t- yeah, I'm trying to think of like weird things, but like yeah, he, he's pretty normal on the tattoo front, two tattoos. But then when he got a bone taken out of his ankle uh, about 20 years ago, 
he got it made into like he just basically drilled a hole through it and uh, and he wears it as a well, necklace, let him keep like it. some kind of yeah yeah I, I think they gave him it in a little jar but he took it out of the jar and um, who did it the no, doctor on Red been... Dead Redemption <laughs> it was a it was a it was a, a Victorian barber surgeon <laughs> yeah. who did it yeah so uh, that's, so that's, you, that's so that's listen Peter I'm fairly certain and listeners will will correct me if I'm wrong you have never told me that before. I think I would have done because you love stories about my dad being weird. Oh, but I would have remembered uh, that. That would be a thing. Yeah. That's great well, news. I, 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 think, I think it's a interesting. It's a bit... Um, what does your mum think about it? Who took the years off? Who took the years off? Yeah. What does Christine think about it? Um, she, she, yeah, she, was, she wasn't uh, as into it because it, it, was, it was black. It had gone rotten because it was... Oh, you know, the, the, it was, it was a, it was a piece of bone that wasn't attached to anything, and that's why it's rattling around in his foot and giving him terrible gyps. So it was, uh, yeah, it, it, it was absolutely, um, yeah, as, as, as dark as anything. So, so yeah, he's got this kind of black lump. It almost looks like rock around his neck. So, yeah. And does he always wear it? Yeah, yeah, it never, huh. it never comes off. I, I started wearing a necklace about sort of December time. Uh, a loved one gave me it, and um, I've not taken it off. I'm, I'm, I'm loving the necklace life, guys. Same as me. It's not my a crisis. Wife, I, I my like wife it. Got me a necklace with Apollo on it, and I wear that now. Yeah, I like it. I, but I, can I, I just I, say, I've Peter, never worn um, jewelry before, really. Just quickly, something that's going to play on my mind. Otherwise, that it's um, in in Predatory, he keeps the skulls, but it's Universal Soldier where the guy keeps the ears. To eat the, yeah, and right, that okay, is based yeah. on a lot of rumours around um, what a lot of soldiers were doing in Vietnam. And in fact, I'm, mm. I'm fairly certain that um, when, as a soldier, so a member of the services fighting in Vietnam, when you came back after your tour had finished, you weren't allowed to bring anything back at all. Um, because people, had nothing, because some people were basically stuff. yeah taking the piss and doing some pretty horrific stuff. So um, yeah. I think it is based. It does sadly does have some kind of um, basis in truth. But um, listen, isn't an ankle that, bone. What's an ankle bone? If it's your own ankle what's... bone, fine. Fill your boots. Yeah, with the space you've got because you've got no ankle bone. <laughs> if it's so much, yeah, I wonder what's in there. It's just a big gap. Um, mm. Isn't that how like Harley Davidson got its start? Because everyone took their um, motorbikes home from the first, uh, Second World War. And then they've kind of like nobody wants to buy Harley Davidsons anymore, so they're in a bit of a weird kind of marketing position. But I think that's why Harley Davidson kind of um, got its start because all of the servicemen um, got their got their motorbikes, their service motorbikes, cheap, um, and uh, and it kind of built a brand a little bit. Well, they certainly did build motorcycles for the Americans in World War Two. Mm. I know that, but I don't know any, yeah. any more than that. It's possible. Maybe people could let let us know. Um, mm. Pete, should we wrap up? Because we're running short. We're running out of time now. No, again. Hello at LukeandPeteShow.com is the place to email in. Tell us about your golf club stories. Tell us about a family member that wears one of his own bones around his neck on a chain, if you like. Love to hear about that. I told you my granddad, uh, my granddad's bus conductor was the guy who went on to play the bad guy in the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, The Running Man. So there's that's a little right, yes. link for you there. Um, and um, and that's obviously an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie in Predator. So there you go. The circle is complete. Um, we'll be back on Monday for more of this. Hello at LukeandPeacher.com, at LukeandPeacher on Twitter. We'll be telling you all about what we got up to at the weekend next week. Uh, and we'll speak to you very, very soon. Say goodbye, Pete Donaldson. The bones are the skeleton's money. <laughs> goodbye from me as well. This was a Stakhanov production. 
Hi everyone, Luke here. I just wanted to take this opportunity while Pete's not around to talk to you about UFOs. You know that I'm interested in UFO sightings, but Peter will not let me talk about them on the podcast. So instead, I'm here to recommend a different show which does discuss extraterrestrial activity and a whole heap of other unexplained paranormal mysteries. I absolutely love it. It's called This Paranormal Life, and it's an award-winning comedy podcast where comedians Rory Powers and Kit Greer inspect different paranormal cases to try and find the truth inside the mystery. Previous episodes investigate things like the Battersea Poltergeist and the Roswell UFO incident. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Sorry. Uh, I'll, leave, I'll leave the studio for like two minutes and you're talking about UFOs again, Luke. I'm actually just recommending to the Luke and Pete Show community to check out This Paranormal Life in case they want some more info about the mysteries, Pete, that you refuse to let me talk about. Mm. Uh, well, look, I, admittedly, I love Rory and I love Kit. They're good fellas and I think we should leave it to them, the experts. I was actually just listening to their St. Patrick's Day episode and I tell you what, it was a bloody good listen. Apparently St. Patrick, right, he used to battle druids in Wizard Jewels, which is a little bit of rock and roll, isn't it? Uh, do you reckon I would beat uh, St. Patrick to some kind of Wizard Jewel, Luke? Oh, I reckon you could in those trousers, mate. Yep. Search This Paranormal Life in your podcast app to subscribe and listen now. Please do it so Luke stops talking to me about UFOs. What's that up there? It's a light, you dickhead. <laughs>